0: Chapter 24 of The Story of Gladstone's Life by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Alabama Question I need not go into the internal troubles which, according to public conjecture, helped toward the speedy overthrow of the Liberal Party. There was some talk of dissensions Talk likely enough to be true among the members of the liberal cabinet. Election after election, here and there, as vacancies were made, began to be lost to the liberals. It was plain that the full tide of reaction was in force. The Alabama question had undoubtedly created some trouble for Mr. Gladstone's government. It has always seemed to me that one of the best and bravest things Mr. Gladstone ever did was his acceptance, and I might even say his enforcement, of the principle of arbitration with regard to that question. The Treaty of Washington, arranged in May of 1871, prevented in all human probability the breaking off of diplomatic relationship and possibly even the outbreak of a war between England and the United States the American government had done what any Englishman with any brains in his head would have known they would do, and were entitled to do. They insisted on a settlement of the claims arising out of the damage done by the Alabama and other cruisers of the southern states, which had been built in English dockyards and had sailed from English ports, and were sometimes, to a great extent, manned by English sailors. Up to a certain point, the English statesmen had rather paltered with the question. They had expressed themselves willing to go into arbitration as to any individual claims for personal damage done, which a few Englishmen might have to present on the one side of the quarrel, and a few Americans on the other side. But this was not by any means what the American statesmen required, and what, as everybody now believes, they were entitled to expect. Their claim was made as a nation injured by another nation. Such a claim was not to be met by merely admitting a willingness to pay for some personal damages that this or that American citizen might have sustained. Mr. Gladstone's government, under his direct inspiration, finally agreed to accept the most ample and complete terms for the discussion of the whole controversy. They declared themselves willing to treat the subject in dispute as a national and not merely an individual lawsuit. A commission was sent out to Washington, which was to hold conference with an American commission and to enter upon all the different subjects of dispute still unsettled between England and the United States. Of these subjects, the principal were the Alabama question, the San Juan boundary, and the Canadian fishery question. The Dominion of Canada was represented on this commission. Of the English commissioners, one is still alive, the Marquis of Ripon. Lord Ittisley, who was then Sir Stafford Northcote, and Mr. Montague Bernard, Professor of International Law at the University of Oxford, are dead. Sir John A. MacDonald, who represented Canada, is also dead. I was in the United States during the whole time while that tribunal held its sittings, and I need hardly say how deep was the interest with which I endeavored to follow its proceedings. The result, we all know. Out of the Washington Treaty came the Geneva Award. It was welcomed with satisfaction by all reasonable men on both sides of the Atlantic. But with a certain class of persons in England— it did not tend to make the liberal administration popular. Especially, it did not tend to make Mr. Gladstone popular with these people. Mr. Disraeli, in the debate on the address on the opening of the session, in 1872, denounced not exactly the Alabama Treaty itself, but the formal paragraph in the Queen's speech explaining it. He insisted that some of the claims admitted for arbitration amounted to the sort of tribute that might be exacted from a conquered people. Mr. Gladstone made in reply a speech of admirable good temper and sound sense and eloquence. He pointed out that most of Mr. Disraeli's arguments applied only to what were called the indirect or constructive claims, which claims had never been really supported or sanctioned by American statesmanship. Mr. Gladstone's speech was in substance, An appeal to the patriotism and the good feeling of the English speaking people on both sides of the Atlantic. All the same, it is quite certain that his popularity in England was diminished by the mere fact that he had accepted an arbitration which told heavily against England. We have caved in to the United States, or indeed to the Yankees, was the common phrase used in certain English clubs, dining rooms, and smoking rooms. One of Mr. Gladstone's own colleagues, Mr. Lowe, entered on an elaborate defense of the treaty, which was more likely to increase than to diminish its unpopularity among certain classes of Englishmen. Mr. Lowe went on to argue that we had at least saved a great deal of money by the arrangement. He was at the pains to point out that whether we were right or whether we were wrong, it cost us much less to pay up the claims then it would have cost us to lose or even to win in a warlike struggle with the United States. If any line of argument might have turned sensible and reasonable Englishmen against the treaty, it would have been such a line of argument as this. It exactly sustained the doctrines the Tories always preached about what was then called the Manchester School, the School of Cobden and of Bright, that the men of that school cared nothing for the honor of their country, but only balanced the expense of maintaining it against the cheapness of sacrificing it. No really thoughtful Tory could ever have believed that Mr. Gladstone felt or encouraged such sentiments. As a matter of fact, neither Mr. Cobden nor Mr. Bright ever expressed or encouraged or felt them. But Cobden and Bright Had undoubtedly said things now and again which an unscrupulous enemy might twist into an expression of disregard for the national honor. Nothing ever said by Mr. Gladstone could be perverted into any such meaning. Yet all the same, the result of the Alabama Treaty was to put him into the position, among the minds of the vulgar, of one who had, in homely phrase, knuckled down to the Yankees. End of chapter 24